Welcome to the Fit to Talk podcast. You just found the number one health and fitness podcast for performers, and you're listening to a guest episode during which we discuss the realities of a career in the performing arts with the people who are fit to talk about them. Yeah, and if you like what we do, please leave us a review or on Spotify, click that follow button. Mm. Also, if you like our meaningful, helpful, and accurate information, and you want to be coached by us, then maybe Fit to Perform is for you. Mm. Yes. Uh, you can find out more information on our website, fit-2.co.uk, or over on Instagram. Moving swiftly on before Bobby's voice gives up on him today, we have an incredible guest for you. Ah, uh, yes, we do. So we've got a fantastic, fantastic actor who's previously appeared in Abigail's Party at Hull Truck. Um, is an award-winning actor, in fact. Has worked extensively in film and TV, mm. and has also written his own play slash musical, slash radio play yeah. uh, called Dagger Lane. Um, he's very passionate about social issues, particularly in the North. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, I work with him at, uh, as he described them, various institutions, dramatic institutions. Um, he, the students love him. He's one of those teachers that you say his name and everybody goes, oh, Duncan, that like people are so excited by him. His sort of uh, presence as a, as a, as an actor is inspiring for people to, mm. to move forward. So hopefully you get some of that yourself by listening to this very episode. Uh, so without further ado, please enjoy the wonderful Duncan McInnes. It's to talk. It's a thing that's often not talked about, which is... Uh, Mental health in the, in this industry. Oh my not, god, yeah, not talked about enough, but physical and mental health as well at the same time. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> one of the many reasons we started this off is that it's like people are like, oh, there is a mental health problem in our industry, <laughs> yeah. and people are just sort of going, yes, yeah, <laughs> okay, and alongside people then doing photo shoots to try and think that that would be, <clears throat> yeah, a solution. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether we, whether we are rolling right now, but uh, it, there's often a lot of lip service paid to uh, this sort of thing. And yet, like you say, people will end up uh, doing something completely the opposite. So they'll, we'll talk about mental health, but it's not investigated yeah. or given the air and the space and time to yeah. chat about that. Yeah. Goodness me. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we, we, I, I guess we are rolling. Yes. Always. Rolling. We're always be rolling. ABR. <laughs> Your favourite. Um, that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> it took us a while to get to that point, actually, with yeah. the, with the a- ABR thing. But we, we did come to that system eventually. We're like, yeah. actually, because the, the moment you press play or record on a thing, that's the moment that people freak out. Yeah. Like, if it's just rolling the whole time and you're like, oh, okay, then we'll go. Even just the idea of go is way more calming than like, whoop. Yeah. Now. Exactly. <laughs> so ah. the podcast begins. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a switch that goes on, isn't there? There's a switch. It happens when you're in front of the camera, if you're lucky, uh, where you, that there is a, there is a performance aspect. There's a, an unraveling one needs to do. Now you and I have, have talked about this quite a bit uh, in the institution that we teach in. Um, uh, and it's a need to perform, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a, oh, it's good, we're going to get quite deep, I think. I, mean, I, I, feel <laughs> like it's, I feel like it's quite systemic. Were you a bit like, um, uh, uh, I'm jumping ahead here, but it's a bit like uh, state school and I'm going to go into a school. How well you do, and now 
don't get me wrong, state schools do incredibly well and do and have an amazing job. They have their plates full. But how well you do at school depends on how well you learn facts mm. and mm-hmm. not uh, to, and I, I know I'm harking back to another particular episode that you've done about um, the understanding of those facts. Yeah. And I think uh, with with performance, there's a, a, it works with, with, with an actor who, uh, either an, an experienced actor or just an actor that just has that switch that goes, I am performing now. It's the same with a, with a click of a click of a switch when you're recording. Sometimes the sensor gets involved and starts to overcompensate with energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I feel like as a performer, that's the life's work of being, and, and someone who wants to, who wants to speak eloquently about either mental health or performing or acting. It, it's about being still yeah, and, and listening. Or you can't have the conversation. I, I, yeah. Before we get too far into this, because we'll, mm. you know I'll come down this rabbit hole with you. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, and tangents are what this is entirely based on. So, so, we live so we live for that. But at some point during the recording of this episode, would you be willing to try and tell us a lie? Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm not this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. That, that's the thing. I, but I do like a challenge. So I'm actually not very good at lying. So I am... Um, I'll see how I do. We'll see. And at the end, what we'll do is we'll, we'll ask you not to respond and we'll see. We'll guess if we think you've lied and yeah. if so, what we think it might be. And we like people listening to try and do the same yeah, yeah, alongside. Brilliant. brilliant. And uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, we've had guests who go, oh, my mum didn't guess it. And then you're like, well. <laughs> no, good. Then you're too good. Yes. <laughs> Your mum should know. I believe that's a different podcast as well. Yeah. Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole thing in that. Yeah, my yeah. mum doesn't know I'm lying. Anyway, uh, so, uh, one, I have never asked you this question. How do I say your second name? Ah, McInnes. McInnes. Yeah. McInnes. I was going, is it McInnes mm. or McInnes? I've had a lot of fun with people down the years. Have you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with that. He does half Scottish. Mm-hmm. Carry on. So half Scottish and quarter Irish, but then who isn't anybody? Um, <laughs> I was born in, as you'll hear from my accent, I was born in the north of England in Hull, East Yorkshire, mm. uh, working class city, and was uh, I had a I had a I had a brilliant childhood. I I thank my lucky stars that I turned out how I did. <laughs> a, 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 a reasonably so well-adjusted human being uh, because of the bedrock of my family. I, had a sister, I have a sister, an older sister, and a mum and a dad. And so I, uh, I got into performing at a really early age. I remember, I remember vaguely going on holiday to Ibiza. Uh, back then, it wasn't the... Uh, the, the club haven that it is now to a certain degree, <laughs> it, it, and I'm showing my age here. But we we went to a we stayed in chalets uh, as a kid, and there was a there, there was a sort of bit like a butlins. Perfect. And it doesn't rain sideways. That actually sounds good. Yes, yeah. I'm on board. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? And I um I I went in for a competition. It was a. a I believe it was the hotel was oh, the the center was called the Marinostrum Center, and I went up for Mister Marinostrum, which was a, a muscle competition. And as a kid, and back then, it was just a simpler time back then. I, I remember going going onto the stage, uh, stripped from, uh, from from my head to to my waist, 
I'm flexing my muscles. And my mum said to me, there and then I knew that some part of you didn't mind being looked at by complete strangers <laughs> for probably at least two hours, if you're lucky. And, so, and, and there's so, a few ways that proclivity can go. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly, ex- exactly. It's, uh, luckily, it went in, in a halfway decent way uh, towards performing. And, and I've been a performer for the best part of 25 years. So I'm, I, I've, in a, some weird small way, I thank the lucky stars for that baptism of fire. Of Mr. Marinostrum. <laughs> of Mr. Marinostrum. Thank you, mum and dad. Um, and so I, I... Did you, how did the competition go? Did yeah, you win? Yeah, did you win? I think I came second. Ah, <laughs> we'll take it. That's, that's the highest placing um, bodybuilding contestant we've had on the show. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> what a crown. Yeah. What a title. Um, there's really? been a few. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> no pressure. I didn't actually prepare to tell that story. But uh, <laughs> it wasn't, it's just something that has literally just come up. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm pleased that I did. It gives it an airing. You mentioned <laughs> that we would be able to tell from your accent. I think your accent is remarkably mild. It is. I, um, uh, when I start to talk about my hometown of Hull, I do get a little bit stronger. But I've standardised my accent, mm. I think, over the years. It's just one of those things. I mean, I, I've been down in... I would say, my northern friends would say, I've been down here too long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I go back up, I work up. I work in the north quite a lot. And when I do go back up, or, or whenever I, I take a job, especially on TV, they do ask me, can I turn it up? Mm. And I can. But I think I have... I think sometimes, I think sometimes when you're in an educational environment, to be taken seriously, one needs to... Uh, modify one acts one's accent and, and I don't know why I feel that I I just sometimes I feel like I can speak clearer mm. if my accent is slightly softer. Well, I think uh, I'm intrigued by this because uh, I'm mm. I, I'm from Cardiff and and uh, actually not a dissimilar background to mm. you, and yet I think the same when I'm in that education environment. And I wonder. Part of it, I think, is that there are students from foreign countries who do struggle with English anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, what were they most likely to have been taught? And can I speak how that might have sounded in order to help them understand? And that's the story I think I tell myself. Mm. But I think the truth is probably a little bit different. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's clarity. And I think it's just speaking slightly slower. Yeah, I speak at a million miles an hour. I remember going to, I remember remember uh, we're jumping uh, we're tangential again I, I remember teaching in uh, in Shanghai in Beijing and I was directing I was directing a little bit of a, a showcase version of Matilda and Mary Poppins and I had a translator and uh, the notes I kept kept being given were speak slower <laughs> speak posher and speak slower speak speak posher <laughs> yeah and so it, it, you have to do with that what you what you can, and the mouth and the body and the brain can only do what it can. Mm. And so I, you modify, but then you also go, well, who's who's driving this, and who's and how am I able to give my best if I'm if I have so many different conditions placed on on the way I speak? Turns out I can. Speak <laughs> <and> quicker. <laughs> no, with that that whole uh, coming from a working class background up north mm. in, in that that place you go what was the what was your family's opinion when you did decide to go i want to go and be in the arts Mm. you know i don't know what jobs your parents had but what what, how did that go well my mum was a nurse she worked um in a and e in the in the night she did a lot of night shifts and my dad ran a business office supply shop and but 
both of them. I couldn't have had more supportive parents. They both went, absolutely. If that's what you want to do, then then we are going to get behind you 100%. The opposite of Billy Elliot, then. The opposite. Of the, the opposite. <laughs> yeah. It makes for a far less interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> we keep saying with improvisation, you're like, no, no, we, we need some kind of conflict or yeah. the story's over. Yeah. If Billy goes, I, I want to do ballet, and they go, okay. <laughs> story, so, it's a terrible story. I'm cut. Let's, let's try this one more time. No, I think um, I think I, I think I had I, I had a lot of support. It started there. But now, believe me, there was conflict. There is conflict, and, it, and it's coming up. So buckle in. But um, I had that support. I had that family that just said, "You want to do that? You want to be an actor? You want to be a performer?" Back then, it was singing, dancing, and acting. Mm. Um, and uh, I said, well, I, I said that, yes. And so they, they actually helped me find a performing arts school to go to. I had I started off with elocution lessons, speech and drama lessons, uh, with uh, like the, the, the various grades, Lambda, Trinity, mm. basically the ISTD of, 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 of drama in a way, mm. the Lambda exams, the Guildhall exams. And then um, I, I, I found a performing, a big performing arts school in Hull called the Northern Theatre Company. And it was a company that that ran classes in the daytime, but then it also was producing things. And so I went to Edinburgh Festival with a load of plays. Wow. Nice. I went to London. I went to the National Theatre with a bunch of plays. I went to, I went, we, we, we did. At what age were you doing this? Oh, so I, yeah, I, I started there about eight, eight or nine, I think. Wow. And left when I was 17, 18, actually. I left when I was 18. And it it was the best grounding I could ever have had because it um it, it instilled a great work ethic. They, they started the twenty four hour plays before Old Vic started the twenty four yeah. hour plays. I'm not sure if a lot of other of the performing arts schools were doing that, but I certainly knew that what I was getting at this place at Northern Theatre Company was some of the some of the the best grounding I could ever have had as a performer. Wow. Mm. And so then you you mentioned that we should buckle up, yeah, yeah, because the conflict coming, mm, yeah. So there's yeah, I, yeah. I, I've probably given it a hard sell. But, <laughs> uh, do with it what you will. But um, I it came the time to audition for drama schools, mm. and I I remember uh, back then there was a lot of for me there was a lot of paperwork to fill out, and I remember I I put all my eggs in one basket and had. Wanted to really go for Guildford, Guildford School of Acting. Uh, I was I was doing a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, and a lot of acting, and it just seemed to be the course that would uh, in the school that would cater to my needs. And a lot of kids had gone from that from Northern Theatre Company to mm-hmm. there, so it was all it was almost expected that I would apply and apply. I did, and I got in, uh, but I couldn't afford to go on my own pocket, so I auditioned for a council grant. From my from my uh, whole city council, and they didn't give me one, so I didn't get a, I didn't get the grant to go, and so I had to relinquish my place at GSA. Hmm. And so I, uh, and so heartbroken because I'd put all my eggs in one basket. which was dancing in clubs in Hull. Uh, it's a, a, a like club nights. Like there was a mm. there was a, a night called uh, the Car Wash, which was a big <laughs> big club called uh, LA's Lex- yeah. Lexington Avenue. And I on I'd pop. Uh, they'd play a few songs, and on I'd come and do do a few dances. 
and uh, maybe pop out a breakdancing move. Yes, I, I learned to breakdance on these jobs. And, can uh, you still breakdance? I can still do a backspin. Well, we are going to see that. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> clear the table. The clear, yeah. yes, clear, clear the space, people, because I, I, I might pop a light. Yeah. <laughs> and then I and then I did singing. I was singing in uh, in bars and clubs and uh, and singing uh, old uh, songs, uh, old people's songs. And so I, it was, it was, it was a, a year of performing, and then I, I, I decided that it might be good to to apply to uh, a college or or to do uh, some sort of performing arts post um, GCSE qualification. So I did a, um, I did a A level classical civilization AS level, and just read a lot of classic plays. And by that time, I was, I felt like I'd, I danced out. And I'd sang out as well. I, I'd still enjoy singing. I still do it a lot. But I'd, I'd saw, I'd seen the prospectus for uh, Lipper, the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, and it was, uh, it was a, it was a real. Uh, it, Guildford gave you a lot of. Uh, they auditioned us quite a few. Uh, we had quite a few auditions from uh, from Guildford, but uh, uh, to get into the course. But Lipper really put me through my paces. And so I, I uh, after the sort of fourth or fifth audition, Yeah. <laughs> of a, a lot of the time, though, of right? dancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's true. It is uh, of dancing and singing in old people's homes. Uh, but I remember filling out the form for drama school for for Lipper and uh, all the questions that they ask you, like what does it what does it mean to be a good actor? Uh, which which is I remember, which is a, a question that sticks out still in my mind. And I, I I remember going through a bunch of reasons. Well, okay, remember your lines, uh, finding your marked up bump into the set, you know, all the, the sort of standard uh, answers. And uh, I remember asking my dad uh, this question. And my dad was a man of very few words, but when he came out with something, you you sort of listened. He put his hand on my shoulder and said, vulnerability. The ability to show vulnerability, I think that's what makes a good actor. And so I put that down, and I think I've lived by that ever since, being able to show the fact that you are a human being. And even as an educator, as a teacher, you don't have all the answers. Mm. You can just go, the, one of the bravest things to say is, I don't know, but let's find out. Mm. Mm. So yes, that's me at drama school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting to drama school and, and finding out that you don't know everything. <laughs> which was which was which was fantastic for me because I thought I did, and then you're you're amongst people of like mind who maybe have a similar work ethic to you or have a a very different probably a better work ethic than you and you can learn from them. But I believe that Lippa was probably the best place for me. Yeah, I I I discovered similar at drama school. I went there going, I think everything had sort of been quite easy mm. up until that point. And then you, you are suddenly sort of in a group, or I was suddenly in a group of people who things had been, you know, from a from an arts perspective, they had found that quite easy, mm. but had also put in fifteen years of hard work and and graft and been tutored in all of this stuff. And you're like, oh, you, you oh, this is I okay, I I am behind. Yes, 
the easy thing is a myth, isn't it? And, and it's, it's sort of, you think you're working hard, mm. but there is always someone that uh, can provide a different perspective on that. Yes. There's always someone that's working harder. <laughs> yeah. but, and, and, <laughs> I love that. Right? Yeah. I, I'm being polite here, but, yeah. uh, but you get it. You can uh, swear, by the way. It's, it's oh, not thank, a fuck for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do swear quite a lot. I, I use swearing as an affectionate term. It's so. very welcome on here. Oh, it brilliant. Is. Yeah, you're, you're, you're uh, is it? Not X-rated. That's that's a different. Uh, explicit. 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 Yeah. We, explicit. We love the word explicit. As Americans would call it unrated. Is that what it? Oh yeah. Yeah. And un, it's not even rated R. It's unrated. unrated. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't even bothered to rate you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think. Um, yeah. I think. I think swearing needs to come back in a in a in, in a big way because it, I, I think there's a, there's a place for it, uh, and it's uh, it, it, the, uh, and it's also quite it's quite emotionally laden as well mm. I think mm. uh, I mean I'm not going to talk this isn't a podcast about swearing but uh, <laughs> it could be we it could make it work <laughs> yeah there's yeah. still time which is the tangential well, approach the, the uh, studies show my favorite thing to say, <laughs> uh, that it, it reduces the sensation of pain uh, if you actually swear so it mm-hmm. reduces how much you feel the, the sensation of pain oh, wow. and it lowers stress so yeah. actually that's why swearing when you, let's say you stand on something painful or you, when you hurt yourself it's part of the reason we we learn to swear because there's a there's a sort of gratification that comes from that that dulls the sensation of both pain and and stress. So that's incredible. So it's a nice nice little bit of. Like so that. choose your swear word wisely. Choose your swear word wisely. It rings true though because it feels like a pressure valve goes mm, off. Yeah, you... and you're like, oh, here we go. I can I can say whatever I like. Uh, so so as you went then from from drama school. Mm. What was that What was that process like? Or being at drama school, I suppose. Yeah, it was it was quite hard. It was a I, I was still quite I was still quite green even as even at nineteen. I I arrived in Liverpool with all my things on a stick on a nut, in a knotted hanky <laughs> and was just sort of I think I'd, I'd gone from Hull I'd not gone from Hull to London. It wasn't that quite as drastic as that. I'd, I'd sort of done a, done a, done some sort of weird roundabout turn. So I'll, I'll go to a bigger city, but not but not London. I will, uh, and I arrived in Liverpool, and I I was immediately struck by the the sort of friendliness and openness of of, of people from Liverpool. I remember walking when I got to Liverpool. It was the first week. I, I arrived scrupulously early, and I keep saying that I arrive early, though I was quite—I was late, three minutes late for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were I, in the area. I, I was in the area for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, how that, I just got—that's just London for you. But I, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to own my mistakes. Um, but I, I remember walking down. Uh, uh, do you know Liverpool? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember walking down Hardman Street towards Bowl Street. And Bold Street is a strip of uh, amazing cafes, uh, but Hardman Street has the best chicken and sweet corn pizza you are ever likely to taste. <laughs> and I know this is a, a fitness and wellness podcast as well. We love pizza. Do, yeah. pizza. Great. Okay. Good. Uh, but but uh, not with sweet corn on it. Just no. Like. Oh, <laughs> see, I'm- I could take sweet corn. You love sweet corn. Can we have the conversation of ham and pineapple, or is, or is that? I is quite that like ham and pineapple. Same. Me too. That's a tree that of feels, ham and pineapple. Yeah, that feels unusual. This is really three. unusual because lots of people, I mean, you can't say that to, are you allowed to say that to an Italian? I think, it's, just... I think it's some kind of phobic. They're not going to backhand slap you. Yeah, uh, and, and it'll be strangely justified, I don't know. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Who invented ham and pineapple pizza, I've got to say? Maybe, maybe we park that thought whilst I, whilst I continue with I'm, my story. Yeah. The, 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 I reckon, I'm going to Google it. I reckon Pizza Go Go. <laughs> right. Pizza Go Go created it. What's Pizza Go Go? You know how to Pizza Go Go? 
It's like the worst, like terrible pizza. Is it? But there's like chains all over, but it's like just the dirt version of, say, Papa John's. <laughs> Brilliant. It was, okay, the pizza, uh, supposedly, BBC says, the ham and pineapple pizza was actually created in Canada in 1962 by a Greek immigrant <gasps> called Sam Panopoulos. Thank you, Sam. Wow. Uh, um, apologies if I'm mispronouncing his second name. He's not here to correct me, so we'll go with Panopoulos. Uh, it just seems like a really great trade-off. Yeah. Like you've got... Sweet, savoury, it's fantastic. Sorry, uh, pop a bit of sweet corn on it if you want. Yeah. Pop a bit of sweet corn, make it worse. Oh, you, you make it so much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't opt for a, for a ham and pineapple pizza that night. I went for a chicken and sweet corn pizza. And the, the chicken and sweet corn pizza has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> <laughs> it should. But uh, as, a, as, a, as a small sort of, as a small inkling of what my time was going to be like uh, in Liverpool, I saw a man in a dressing gown hurtling towards me with a massive kitchen knife. Uh, and thus started my I, 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 at Lipper. What they what they were very keen for you to do was to write a journal, write a diary. And uh, young and impressionable as I was, I just went okay, and have kept a diary since 1997. Yeah, uh, that story it's a big went book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, one diary. I brought them all here. With me. <laughs> With a wheelbarrow. <laughs> it's half a Roman. <laughs> Um, Didn't your dad work in a stationery? He did, he did. So, oh, nice so it was back. like the mothership calling me home. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping your dad in business. <laughs> Single-handedly. I need more pens. Sorry, I need to drop this. <laughs> oh. More pens, Roger. <laughs> and my dad wasn't called Roger. I don't know why I, 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 don't know why I called, called him Roger. <laughs> um, where was I? Yeah, it, it, it wasn't really, it's not really a story. It's just an image I had. It set the tone of Liverpool that people were willing to, to bop out of their house every evening barefoot in a dressing gown with a, a massive kitchen knife. And I, I, I wonder still to this day, where was that man going? Mm. What was he doing? Mm. It got I you think, ready for London. Got me ready for London, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, yes, it did. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I loved Liverpool and I loved my training at Lipper. I, they, they put us through our paces. They weren't... The type of school that was um, intent on breaking you down mm -hmm. uh, because they realised, they knew to everybody's benefit that they were not mental health professionals. And so, and, and so when people say break down, I often kind of go, well, into what yeah. exactly? Mm. Because something, something, some, some duty of care needs to be attached to that. Um, they merely said, this is what's required of you. This is this is the techniques we want you to look at. Basically, Uta Hagen, Stanislavski, um, and 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 so my time at Lippo, I thank my lucky stars for that because it it taught me actually how to be an actor, uh, how to act, but also like be an actor in the world and to have a have a plan and have a career mm. and to or at least be focusing towards that. And part of that was about producing your own work as well. Mm. I love this because I think this is, in my experience of music theatre training, I think that that element of it is sort of perhaps missing. And I, I can't speak for any other uh, establishments or, or trainings than mine, but that was something that was sort of almost proudly cultivated was what it was to be an actor. Mm. And that, that 
that was part of your identity and your responsibility as well as a as a human being that to call yourself an actor that came with it came with responsibility and a, a and a a certain curiosity about the world mm. and how how one one should or might be able to carry oneself through that and what you can contribute to it mm. and i i sometimes think that that's that's maybe missing a little bit especially from from music theater anyway where there's just less time to it within that training element. When you go, I've got three disciplines I need to be at the top of my game at. So we're not going to worry about the, uh, yeah. the, the devising or whatever it might be. Does that ring true to your? Yeah, it does a little bit. Um, I, when I hear you say that, when I hear, when I hear responsibility and I, when I ever hear, when I ever hear uh, what it is to sort of be an actor in the world, I often, I understand that, the educator or the tutor may know that there is a responsibility there. I'm just not entirely sure whether it's explained fully to, um, to, if I'm going to say these kids, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 which sounds dreadfully patronizing. Uh, but it's, uh, I think it's about, I think it's certainly about having a life and being in touch with your life because I don't believe you can have a life. Um, I don't believe you can put a life up on stage or on camera unless you've had a bit of a life or in, are indeed in touch with your own experiences. Part of your job as a performer is having a life and then possibly providing an artistic response to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that that filters through the work, that filters through the scripts, that filters through all the other characters. You know, you, you don't have to if you're playing some of the unsavory characters that I've played. You don't have to have done those things. Yeah, you know, the pressure's off there. but you do have to kind of go where am i in this role and that 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 i think and and so that that has to come from knowing what the responsibility is of the act and the responsibility of the actor i believe is to honor the work honor the writing honor the vision of everybody including your own and realize it's a collaboration Mm. um uh, and and so being the actor is something quite different. There is a, a, a acting as an industry, um, which has its has is a wonderful job, but the the industry has its I believe has its flaws to a certain degree. And then you have the actual job of being of acting in a job, um, and the two have are very distinct. Carrying oneself through the world, being proud of what you what what you what you are, because acting doesn't happen in a vacuum and it doesn't happen when someone gives you permission you are an actor and a performer and it's happening all around you so uh, when i when when i talk to our students i say uh, we talk about being a recorder being a recorder for life and and having and recording what you you talk about think sounds and I, i i i really love all that because i think it's about oh i do this this is what i do uh so it goes in a on a a wee compost heap so you and you pick it, pick it for later. So that's you being a um, a recorder for your life, and then you have the actual job, which is the professionality, mm. which is the turning up on time, not bumping into the set, hitting your mark, and just knowing all those things that bring a quiet confidence. Wait, I'm not meant to bump into the set because oh, I- <laughs> that's what you do brilliantly. Yeah, that's my one you do skill. That fantastically. <laughs> I've seen that falling with style. I've seen it beautifully <laughs> <laughs> on that tap dance floor. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Pretty true. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty true. I think. I think that does that answer your question. Does it? Uh, yeah, m- more than yeah, more than answers it. I uh, think it's such a. 
I find the concept an interesting one, and I think everybody has a different opinion about it. Yeah. Or at least I would expect everyone to have a different opinion about it. And quite often now, and I'm going to be incredibly patronizing uh, in that I'm like, the people that are coming into the industry now have barely conceptualized that that question. Mm. And it was a question that we were regularly asked to ponder of going like, what what is it to be an actor? What mm. is your job? Like, what is your responsibility? And I think it's something that I've tried to work out ever since. Yeah. And, and hold you said like being a recorder, you know, that's that classic thing of, of, with Uta Hagen of saying like, look at me with an entirely blank face going, what do you mean? And I'm like, do you know why though? <sighs> I think I have a theory on this. It's a very, very flimsy theory, but I think we've, we've got so much information now. Mm-hmm. We don't need to wait. We don't need to read a book or get ourselves to a fucking library. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, there's my first swear word. Oh, my second, my second swear word. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Brilliant. Is there, a, is there a loyalty card? Is there a scorecard? I'll, I'll, I'll knock you up one now. Yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it, it, we've got, we can reach our heroes. We can hear our, our, our heroes so quickly and easily on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. And we can hear them bring mouthpieces, and a lot of what they say has has a lot of merit. But we don't we don't get the full context. If we sat and read respect for acting, or or looked at um, respect for the actor, or or, or any of Stanislavski's um, uh, future previous works, and, and sat and tried to absorb it, then we might know that it's not just the red about uh, about this. Uh, we we know the science behind it. And we know the the mindfulness because I I'm I'm teaching Shakespeare at the minute, and part of the Shakespeare work is uh, is sort of the, the mindfulness of Shakespeare and how it makes you it be in your own body. But acting is exactly exactly the same. Of course, it's the same. It's the same principle that it, it just imagine it, it it means you're attaching an emotion or a an idea to a color. And a lot of that is lost because they don't see uh, people who are approaching this industry from cold don't see that. They see the results mm. and it's, mm. it, and it is a results slash process. And I think I've, I think I've, it, it, and it swings in roundabouts. You have to think um, as an actor or even as a director, you have to think micro and micro all the time, be process based and then deliver. And mm. I think, and it's nice to be able to go, oh, it's a simple, it's a, this is, I'm, we're breaking this down. Mm. They want to walk, bef- want to run before they can walk, basically. Yeah. I really love speaking to you about Shakespeare. I know we've spoken to this before because yeah. um, Duncan just got some students to do a, a whole chunk of Midsummer Night's Dream. And, oh, lovely. And uh, interestingly, in line with what you were saying, you know, the result was fantastic, but I also sort of know the process that you went through to get them to that. And, uh, the way you speak about Shakespeare and the way you communicate your ideas, it's so infectious and, yeah. and you make people excited about it. And I think quite often that's very difficult because people find it so complicated that it becomes inaccessible mm. to them. So how do you how do you do that? Yeah, well, I, I'd had good teachers. I'd, um, I, I actually missed out on my journey from a Northern Theatre Company to drama school. My first pro job, my first professional job, was working with the English Shakespeare Company, doing Mamili- uh, Winter's Tale and Coriolanus. And I, I had Michael Pennington, 
uh, and uh, a brilliant, brilliant actor. Back uh, back then, he was known for being in Return of the Jedi, uh, Captain <laughs> Nida in Return of the Jedi. And so I was just completely starstruck. But there was a load of other brilliant actors, Robert Demiger, um, Sean, Sean Phillips. Um, uh, uh, they'd all come on tour uh, in working under Michael Bogdanov. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they'd come to Hull and they'd auditioned us and I, I, I got the job. And it, it, basically they said, um, and I thought they were going to come up with some the, some really pithy sort of statements about Shakespeare and about how how we must respect uh, the punctuation, the iambic, and and, and and being on the breath and all that sort of thing. And they said, watch the older actors. Watch them. See how they do it. You've read Shakespeare, but have you experienced it? And Ooh. and the uh, director, uh, Derek Nichols, said to me, you need to, you, you can read it, but you need to experience it. And you need to live in your body. You need, you need to get up and move. If, you, if you're going to, if you're going to read Shakespeare, then you'll only absorb a little bit of it. If you're going to get up and live it, then you will find out. And Kate Winslet talks about this. She goes, what can I get for free as an actor? She wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm feeling really shit and terrible. I'll use that in my performance. And he said something of a similar similar kind. He'll say, uh, did, did Derek, work out how Shakespeare is making you, Duncan, feel and put that in the script. So if you are feeling short of breath, and allow that to drive it through. If they, if they, uh, we, it, we talk about iambic pentameter, we talk about masculine, feminine endings. All of that is academic, I believe. I think what's important is to look at how she, how I can come to Shakespeare as an actor myself, um, and not bring it to me, but kind of meet it halfway. And by that, I mean, sort of, how do I interpret it and let it wash over me like classical music. Because you don't have to understand everything. This is what the people actually misconceive about Shakespeare. And and the misconception is, I believe, you you don't have to understand everything just yet. Yes, you need to understand what what, what the speech is about or or what the dialogue is about, what the play is about, definitely. But it will come. Mm. It's almost like being a detective. You get the results. The more time, what you focus on expands. The more time you give to to the piece. And so this works this with, with our students every week we'd go back and I'd say, okay, now what does it mean? There'd always be a different approach. There'd always be the academics that go, ah, this is what a Lucrece knife means. This was what, and, and, and so people can tell you those things. And I said, well, yes, but what does it, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to, to, to the character? Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, so the, the, there was a bunch of different things that we've done, done a lot of games. I love games. Sometimes make up my own. <laughs> I have no life, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I love games in a room and people always freeze up when they say, Oh, we have to play a game. Everyone feels that they have to perform. And so I, I say that right off the bat that if it goes wrong for you, nobody will die. Mm. Nobody will. Die. Mm. Uh, it's just a way of trying and failing yeah. and introducing that failure is a concept. Yeah. Not, not real thing. repeatedly. This is the, cause uh, we actually play very similar games with them in, in, in the room and, and, I'm always there to go. There's lots of reasons for this game, which is a physical warm up and a mental warm up alongside a, a vocal warm up. You're mm. desperately trying to use your voice and all these things. And also knowing that if if this is played at pace, someone's going to be out over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And one of those people is still going to win. Like, 
if if there's a victor in the game, it may very well be one of those people that that failed mm. right at the start. You're like, it's part of the process. It needs to happen. In fact, if you risk nothing, then you won't gain anything. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, both you and me, Bobby, we nodded vehemently then. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you, can, you can hear this. The sound of nodding. I'm just aware that there was a bunch of there was a bunch of silence after you just said something really profound. Someone somewhere there's a narcissist just listening to ASMR of people nodding in agreement <laughs> to them. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes I, I am right. <laughs> I want it. No, but it's but it's true. I think um, this this idea of failure, this idea of, um, I, I, I think it comes, it goes back to those systemic uh, ideas that were planted in school. You know, um, I believe we live in an infinite universe, so everything we do produces a result, so we can't possibly fail. Uh, we can only do something, and then if it didn't go a certain way, we learn from it and then move on. Or we make the mistake repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Buddhists talk about this all the time. Where they say the, the same lessons will continue to turn up until you listen and, to them. Until you listen. Until you learn. Yeah. And, and I think that's the same with with your training as a, a as an actor. That the same you will get the same notes. Yeah. You'll get mm. the same ideas presented <clears throat> to you until you let go of your ego and let go because we all have one. Uh, it's, it would be silly if we didn't. Uh, but sometimes the ego is the thing that speaks the loudest. And so I think if we're going to break anything away, mm. if we're going to strip anything away at drama schools, it's that, it's, it's the idea that, that uh, the walls that come up when, when challenges happen. We find that with, with uh, training performers too, yeah. in that it's the thing that people resist doing. They can do everything else. They can go, oh, I'm going to add this into my routine. I'm going to remove all of this. But it's usually the one thing that they know, they're like, oh, I'm unwilling to look at this aspect, or whatever it is. I'm, I won't yeah. change that. And you go, it's probably that then, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's the thing that's going to set you free. Yeah. yeah. It's the thing that, the only way out is through. So the, the, it's the thing that's going to, that's going to, make you the version of you that you think is, is, is or, or you want to be. And I, I think you're avoiding. And you're avoiding because is it, is it something about the path of least resistance? Is, is it something about the cruel, hairy, beautiful truth that is, <laughs> that is that this part of you that needs to, that needs to change somewhat? Duncan, I need a minute after that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. This is not just a podcast. This is an M&S podcast. <laughs> the hairy, beautiful truth. Cruel, hairy, beautiful <laughs> um, So, you know, we'll, at the start of this podcast, by the way, there'll be a, a huge introduction to you with, with many of those credits in there. So people will have heard them. But, you know, you've had a, a rather wide-ranging, varied career mm. uh, over the years. <laughs> greedy is what a, I am. A greedy career. <laughs> a greedy career. And we, all, and we all offer a greedy career. It's quite yeah. nice. Uh, realistically, looking at that, you mentioned mental health. Like, what have been the biggest challenges for you over that uh, over the course of that crazy career? Um, I think... That's a really good question. I think the challenges came when I when I I sort of reached my my sort of my thirties and I was starting to get different jobs and not not quite um, not not quite knowing how I would approach them. But also, I think um, in terms of mental health, 
it was it was it was sort of about other people working in a way. I'd I'd um, had a lot of friends, and all of us have have had really. We're very thankful. All of us have had quite uh, quite really lovely careers, and to be still doing it is is a real blessing. I think, and I I don't talk about this very often, but I do believe it's important to talk about it. About when your peers start getting work, and when your when your friends are getting work, and the management of being a supportive friend, but also going, oh, I wish I wish I'd got that. I wished I'd. Mm. Um, being in uh, the arena or in the in the stratosphere of that job, and it, and and it turns out that there are moments because you know it, if you it, and and I'm going back to metaphors. Here. If you were going to go to a party and uh, everyone threw their keys in a bowl and the keys were problems, you'd snatch yours back in a heartbeat. Yeah. So when mm-hmm. people when people uh, get the work, it's not just about the work. It's about I fir- what, what I first thought it was about was the career. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're having this great career and they're, and they're in demand. Why aren't, I, why aren't I in demand? Which is what the ego um, t- uh, says, to the, t- says to the rest of you. And then as I've, as I've dealt with my successes and disappointments, I've realised that Everything you cannot have successes without disappointments. There, there does have to be a, a a sort of seesaw and a to and a fro, and those disappointments have made me the performer and the teacher and the actor that I am, and it's allowed more enrichment into my life, more different feelings, and the way I've battled those, um, I've I've not I've thankfully not suffered with. Uh, and as far as I know, any anxiety or depression, which I think is rife in this business, what I have found are coping mechanisms. And so, uh, yeah, to boil it down to your question, the, the dealing with disappointment, we were always told that you, one needs to have a thick skin in this in this industry, and I never really knew what that was. I knew I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. I, 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 I know what I'm doing. I went straight into work out, out of drama school. I was really, I didn't get an agent. I went straight into work um, and I, I I sort of knew it was about the work. I got the agent eventually, but I knew it was about, about the work. And somewhere along the line, uh, I, through my 20s, and once I hit 30, I started to sort of go, aha, uh-huh, something needs, something else needs to happen. Some, some more, um, some more efforts needs to be placed on my career. Uh, and I mean that by planning. I mean that by by uh, uh, developing relationships with, ca- with casting directors and with directors. And and then when people started getting work and I didn't, uh, I started to kind of want to figure out why I was disappointed. So I've I've gone down that curious route of going, ah, I'm I'm not getting the work, but there's more to my world than just acting. Mm. There's more to life than acting. And I believe that if I concentrate on other work, you go where you need it, which is what started my writing, which is what started my, my directing and producing. You you go where you need it. And then at some point, something will turn up. But as long as you are making your contribution in the world, there are other ways to live as a human being. We, we tie in so much identity into being a performer and so much identity, so much worth of self-worth into employment. And those things need to be looked at. Those things could be repackaged and unpacked. And hopefully we, what comes out of that 
is more empowerment. And I wished my my forty six year old self had told my thirty year old self this because mm. I went through a period of just going, ah, oh, this is this is this is this is really hard. Mm. I've always I will never stop acting. I've, I I there wasn't something that I that went in my head. Oh, I'm just going to give it up because I just cannot imagine myself ever not doing it. I just now know that I I don't need the cruel mistress as much as as much as I thought I did. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Oh, I'm very tangential, very waffly. But no, no, you, I, 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 just to jump back to quickly on something you said at the start, which I think we've mentioned before on here, is that that um, when we're in that sort of group with our friends and some people see success and you don't realise they do the same thing, I think it's really important to surround yourself with people and accept it yourself that both, we've had this discussion, Doug, before about two opposing things being able to be true at the mm, same time. Yeah. You go, I am genuinely happy for you yeah. and thrilled mm. and I would never want to take it away from you. And I'm also jealous. Yeah. I, I also want that for myself. Yeah. It, that doesn't make me a bad person. I'm going, I don't want to take it away from you. I, I, I also want it. Yeah, <laughs> like, but, yeah. Because you can weaponize jealousy. Yeah. By that yeah, I mean, yeah. you can actually, it points you towards what you want in life. So if someone is, 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 uh, is doing a certain thing or, or has done a certain thing and you want to do that and, and you're feeling a certain feeling is often uh, perceived as jealousy, you can actually use that to fuel. And I started doing that. I started doing that uh, to, to a certain degree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And there's a thousand different realities going on. Mm. Uh, for all your one reality, there's so many different things at play there. It's such an arbitrary process it's casting. It's such, it's such yeah. a one usually one person's opinion, um, yeah. and or a, a committee headed by one person, and and so it's it it. I I remember reading something. I remember, it's Brian Cranston talks about this, and I I sort of I sort of package it into into my into my lessons. I talk about your job as an actor. I think he says this as well. We I mean, just say this: your job as an actor is to go in audition. Provide a real credible character, and then fuck off, yeah. and, go, and then go and live your life. The job, mm. uh, if you get the job, then that's the icing on the cake. But the job is actually auditioning. Mm. And when he and when he started to realise that, he he says Brian Cranston says his perspective on work changed. It changed his whole life, and he started getting jobs. Paradoxically, as a yeah. result. Mm. Uh, Quickly, because we could have, we should have another episode. Um, <laughs> uh, first of all, that you know, you mentioned writing too, mm. and you had your your play Dagger Lane, wasn't it? it was done by a theatre Royal Stratford East. Is that well, what happened? Directed it? Yeah. Well, what happened was I um, I wrote a play called Dagger Lane, which is a murder thriller. Um, I love crime thriller, and uh, I, I wrote it. Um, if we've got time to talk about it, that, yeah, that, fire uh, but I um, it came out of a conversation with my dad uh, before he died. Uh, not on his deathbed. It was it was about something else. <laughs> Final wish. Yeah. My 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 relationship with my dad is laced with humour. He had a very very sick sense of humour. Um, I'll tell you a story about that at some point at some time. <laughs> um, but uh, Dagger Lane, which is set in Hull, it's a murder thriller. It's set, it's, a, it's about an ex police officer with dementia who uses a particular type of dementia to go back into his memory to try and figure out why his best friend was killed and framed for a murder that he didn't commit in police custody. It's complete fiction. But it's, I believe fiction is truth by another means. So I, <laughs> I, I came out of conversation with my dad because my dad wanted to talk about 
The change that was happening is particularly in the north of England and, the, and attitudes towards racism, attitudes towards um, that the UKIP rising. And so uh, we're and it's 20, this was around about 2016. So it was a, a very tricky period politically for our country. And uh, th- I wrote it. I and I'm not saying I rattled it off like murder she wrote or something <laughs> like Hunter S. Thompson in my room just pulling all nighters. It didn't. It was it was born out of a lot of a lot of process. And to cut your teeth on a crime drama, uh, a murder thriller play is not easy. <laughs> so, but cut my teeth, I did. Uh, and so Theatre of Stratford East, uh, I we we did it. We had a bunch of workshops there. And then I got uh, I got a job. I was doing a play about the civil rights movement in Munich. Uh, funnily enough, it was it was an Eastern European tour. Brilliant! I really really enjoyed it. And it, uh, and during that, I was applying for various different funding pockets of funding. And I I happened upon uh, the Peggy Ramsey Foundation. And uh, Peggy Ramsey, for anyone who who wants to know, is uh, was a, a, a an agent, a writer's agent uh, from Australia. And she uh, she represented a lot, a lot of big writers in the UK: uh, David Hare, Alan Aitbourne, um, uh, Simon Stevens. And it, uh, what was what was set up posthumously in her in her it, uh, uh, it was. I'll try that one again. <laughs> <laughs> what was set up uh, posthumously was a foundation for writers. So you you'd write to them, and uh, you would apply for a certain amount of funding. And they would give you money to write, just mm. n- not about production, not about uh, the, the bigger journey of it. It was just about sitting down, parking your ass in a chair and writing. And so I did. And, and it was actually Simon Callow that wrote to me because he's, he's now on the on the board of trustees. Casual. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Clang. Yeah. <laughs> are these yours? Are these yours? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, there's more. Trust me. Come with the wheelbarrow. <laughs> really, I should have come with that. Um, we need a bigger bag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, so I was over the moon. So I had space to write, but then the, but this, and this is what I mean about being a good producer. Lipper taught me that you know, if you get a bit of funding, don't blow it. So I kept the money and used it as much funding and then applied to the Arts Council uh, of England for a bigger grant to R&D it. So uh, sometimes, and this is a tip for anyone who's looking to to apply for Arts Council funding, there's a certain amount of money where your mouth is. Um, and if you're willing to put some of your money up front, it does look good. Or see, or certainly seem to look good um, uh, on my application because I gave them, I told them that I'd already had funding for the Peggy Ramsey Foundation and they gave me a much bigger grant. I'm not saying it's that easy. I got turned down about two times. <laughs> so on the third time, I got I got a pocket of funding to pay actors properly. Mm to travel everybody up to Hull. So we did our first workshop at a Hull truck. Brilliant, brilliant producing theatre in the North. Mm, mm. And then we did another week of R&D at the Cast Theatre in Doncaster, another titan of uh, producing, of Northern producing theatre. And uh, we got a great cast of, of people, some really great people to, to be involved. And I was able to pay people properly. That, that was the thing I wanted. Pay myself yeah. a wage, but pay everybody. And so, so that's that's the journey that happened, and then and then a lot of theatres came to watch the the final sharing at at, at cast in Doncaster, particularly as the Stephen Joseph, which I've developed a relationship with, at Alan Aitbourne's Theatre in Scarborough, and uh, then lockdown happened, <laughs> and then and then you know I I just done I just done a telly job, and then all my stuff was in the can, and I was just about to get on the phone to um, to a bunch of theatres 
and and then and then everything and and the, and the people that. Uh, at BBC said you're going to have to go because we're now shutting all my, all my stuff was all, all my stuff was in the can we're shutting down we're going to need to um, ship you out so that, that's, that's when the first lockdown one happened and so what followed was a year of refining online uh, doing a, doing lots of R&D online and um, and sharing it with people online. It's really hard to get people on a Zoom these days, mm. but it was it was really hard back then. So we we did get producers involved, but it was it just became a little bit harder because now, as we know, the theatre industry is 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 still really it's, there's this it, it, mirage that it's uh, this um, what's the word. I, I say mirage, but it's an illusion is what I mean, that, it, that the theatre is back on its feet now. It really, really isn't. Commercial, possibly, but producing theatre uh, uh, in the in in the north or anywhere that's out of England is really struggling. And it was struggling back then. And so I, I thought, why don't I, whilst theatres aren't able to to bite, take a bite of my apple, uh, <laughs> that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present the play to... Uh, competitions. I'll, I'll present the play to competitions, and in the hope that somebody might buy it. And BBC were the first to come back to me. Uh, the BBC Radio Four Alfred Bradley Bursary Award to Northern Actors, and it was about. And so they they rang me up and said, "We'd like to longlist your play, but keep it quiet because we're shortlisting it as well." So what I've, what followed was a mentorship for six months with a BBC radio producer. So we now have a radio play. Wow. And now have I've converted it into a musical, and I've now got a full score of music, and I now how to start, have a standalone play. There's three different versions, yeah. <laughs> and you've got your two leading men, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, here, right here. It is a cottage industry. Yeah, yeah. So that's sort super of super exciting. In the nutshell, that's that's the life of that writing. I, I love writing. I mean. Yeah, sounds Shall fantastic. Um, so, is there anything about the industry or about health and wellness or fitness or anything else that you would like to see get in the bin? Yes, <laughs> the, the, there's yes. quite there's quite a few things. I think I think this idea that one can go to the gym and then eat anything they want. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this idea that maybe one can can spend an hour an hour and a half in the gym and then just have have poor nutrition it's sort of it, it, it both of them seem to work there's that saying that abs are made in the kitchen which uh, which to a certain degree i, I think is it is true it's I, absolutely true but but it's um i'm not a nutrition I'm not, I'm not a fitness expert so i'm 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 only approaching it from from my standpoint i just think that when when people just go oh yeah i went to the gym now i could have a pizza or now now i can go to mcdonald's i just think that that should get that idea should get in the bin in the bin. Do you have any, any advice to someone entering the industry now? Ooh. Beyond keep a journal. Beyond beyond keep a journal. I think I think listening. Uh, certainly as an actor, I think you just need to to listen. To listen on stage. But to go out and see plays. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, just, I, hear, I see yeah. so many people just kind of going, oh, I want to be in this place. I want, I want to work at this place. But they've, they've never seen a play there. They've just seen that they've just seen that it looks good. And so, mm -hmm. and they haven't, they don't have the first clue. So I would say, go and see a play. Be in, be in theatre, be, be in the, the kind of the scene. And that will inspire, that will keep you inspired. Mm. Hell yeah. 
Uh, well, without changing your facial expression or giving anything away, we'll look away from you. And um, we need to guess if Duncan has lied and if he has, what we think the lie might be. And we encourage you at home or wherever you might be to do the same. So think back across this chat. Bobby, do you have any suggestions? The only one that like I wonder about was the uh, the bodybuilding body competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I I think there may be some truth yeah. to it, but I think there may be that's where our line might be. I feel like it's in that vicinity, and it might be that uh, I, I asked if he won or not, and he said he came second. Otherwise, I'd say maybe he won. Yeah, uh, something to do with that. I think yeah, we'll say some, something to do. Let's be vague, Duncan. We think we think you did lie, and it's something to do with the bodybuilding contest. Tell us, did you manage to lie? I did manage to lie. And what was it? It wasn't the bodybuilding concert. Oh, yeah, I'm so happy that's, that's true. What was yeah, it? I love that that's true. I never sang in old people's homes. Oh. oh. At the time, I, that did kind of run through my head. <laughs> oh. did it. And I felt much closer like, to you after that. So now, now <laughs> I take the closeness back. <laughs> I, I, I thought you would have gone for the club dancing, the, the learning to backspin in the car. Yeah, the, that was another one. Because I don't, because I, 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 like, I, I People can't see me, but I don't look like I could do that sort I of stuff. I one hundred percent believe that. I really? felt like the club yeah. dance. It was the break when you said break dancing. I was like, oh, maybe that element of it. Because like the club yeah. dancing, I was like, I can feel and, like that is true. No point did I even think with that 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 wasn't true for no reason. I think I was just listening. You know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even go. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, you know, I've, I've had about six or seven lives in this one life. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, Being an actor. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. should we play another game? Yes. Uh, this is a game of this or that. So it's a one minute lightning round out of friends. Stefan, I'll give you two options. You've got to pick one. One minute on the clock. Three, two, one. Let's go. Eggs or bacon? Eggs. White bread or brown bread? Brown. The US office or friends? Friends. Cardio or resistance training? Resistance training. McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's. Singing or acting? Acting. Writing or directing? Writing. Yoga or Pilates? Yoga. Family Guy or Love Island? Love Island. Domino's Pizza or Papa John's? Domino's. Sport or dance? Dance. Alcohol or chocolate? Chocolate. Matching socks or mismatching socks? Mismatching socks. Coke or Pepsi? Neither. <laughs> Jacques Lecoq or Stanford Meisner? Jacques Lecoq. Game of Thrones or Glee? Game of Thrones! Books or Kindle? Books! Clean shaven or beard? Clean shaven. Personal chef or personal stylist? Personal chef. Opening night or press night? Press night. Sexy or smart? Sexy. Shower or bath? Bath. Midsummer Night's Dream or Much Ado About Nothing? Midsummer Night's Dream. Dogs or babies? Dogs. Snakes or badges? Badges. Theme park or water park? Theme park. Running or walking? Walking. Director or choreographer? Director. Bobby or Stefan? Both. Yeah. <laughs> 46 seconds. No. That was, but that was like beautifully efficient. Oh. I think that was the most efficient version I've Has seen. It? I, I've got the clammies. That was, you do know what? Stefan's just high-fived me. I, I've got to apologise. You're going to need a towel. Yeah, I think you could hear the moistness actually in there. I have never felt more alive. <laughs> <laughs> that was the moment. Who needs press night when you've got that, right? Exactly. <laughs> and Jack Lecoq was the right answer. Oh, brilliant. Because <laughs> there is a right answer between Because there, there is, is a right course, answer. of course. Um, but wow, that was <laughs> the best badges. Uh, Duncan, thank you so much for coming in yeah, to join thank us. thank you, Duncan. I've uh, had the best time. You guys were in a great room and I love what you guys are doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you at home or wherever you might be for listening. Yeah, and if you've enjoyed this episode, click those like and subscribe buttons. Find us on Instagram at fit underscore talk, as always. Got any questions you want answered, Bass? You know what to do. Slip side into those DMs. I'll be in there journaling. Oh, yeah. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you've heard, we have been fit to talk with our wonderful guest, Duncan McInnes. Smashed it. And your host, <laughs> me, Stefan. And me, Bobby. And if you didn't like it, it would have been Joe Wicks. Peace out. Uh, <laughs>